performed. He's been in the hit fringe musical, The Key of E. Before the guest comes on, here's a little bit of the musical. Just can't wait for the game to end. Check it out right now. And mighty droves to blow the earth away Yeah, I was there when the end of days Descended on your town I watched it from a distance and wrote everything down I had a front row ticket when the skies began to fall I saw the children screaming like JT was in the mall Then a giant metal planet drifted just past the earth's face Close enough to rip Australia out into space I saw the megapod of dolphins turn the ocean into foam As the scientists stared in horror And Zeus came down with a lightning bolt and he shot us all in the dick. Corpses rained from the skies above and clogged up every creek. Sixteen hundred minotaurs just head up the street. An earthquake took out Canada, but no one seemed to mind. And lions and giraffes became genetically entwined. Back into the skies they screamed, enough is enough. Everyone expected zombies, but they never showed up. Yeah, I should go. Wanna watch some motherfuckers play? 
for those who don't know anything about Kiwi, um, give a nice little rundown. Who did you play, and what did you sing, and what's it about? Uh, basically, the show was the brainchild of Corey Valence and Andy Matchett, which is a local musician in Orlando. And basically, it was a post-apocalyptic rock musical, which sounds very cliche, but um, also it's uh, pretty original. It was basically about a guy that was a complete alcoholic, um, was a pretty horrible person, which was not the character I played, um, was just an awful person in general, and the show opens up where he's wanting the world to end, and he has this long, like, monologue about, you know, ranting about all the shitty things that are in the world. By the time that that scene ends, there's a big wave that comes over and just washes away all of the Florida, and he ends up on a desert island, and he has all these different people coming up to talk to him, but we tell you earlier in the show, because we have a narrator, that basically tells you all these people don't exist. They're all in his head, but he has no idea that they're not in his head. So we kind of flip that on its, you know, on its ear instead of going the big twist ending, you know, um, that they're not real. We tell the audience like immediately that they're not real. And I played his very confident side, the side that he wishes he was. I had longer hair and like a goatee and mustache and everything, and uh, I played his cool like rock star kind of side. And uh, another girl, Amanda Warren, she played uh, his quirky, fun side, kind of like a tank girl type of character. And it was basically very autobiographical on my friend Corey. So all these characters that he wrote are people that he could completely relate to for the most part. So, What's amazing about this show is that this show, most, most friend shows, and you would probably agree to this, most friend shows are your run-of-the-mill one-man show where they're sitting there just going, telling horrible jokes or just babbling for a while. What's amazing about this show is it had the longevity beyond any other friend show. So much, in fact, that it ended up in New York City. Yes. We went to New York, and we also did a, 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 a production of it at the venue in August. And, um... I mean, it was very well-received in Orlando. In New York, it wasn't that it wasn't well-received, but you're just a little fish in a huge-ass pond out there. So in New York, it was it was different. Um, didn't have huge crowds, but everyone that reviewed us really liked the show. Um, and it was funny, too, because uh, Andy, the guy that did the music, we were, he was going to do the music for Bloody Buddy Andrew Jackson because they were doing that show at Fringe this year. And he was like, oh, I hate that show. But in that review, they're like, music reminiscent of Bloody Buddy Andrew Jackson. And he's like, ah, come on. So, but I mean, the music in the show is extremely catchy and extremely simple. But, you know, most of the time, something that's catchy and simple is almost always fantastic, you know. Uh, but you, the other question you're asking, my character's name was Chester, which is kind of funny. Uh, <laughs> a good friend of mine, Ryan, used to call me Chester all the time, so I thought that, that was kind of interesting. But... Um, what else did you ask? Oh, the songs I sang. There was probably about seven or eight songs in the show. One was called Better Off Alone, which was like a big, cheesy exploitation of a Broadway song, um, where the chorus was nothing but a bunch of bops, like bop, 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 you know, because it was very, like, just... Our show was a complete anti-musical. That's the best way to describe it. And then the other one I sang was called All in the Brain, which was all of the personalities arguing about whether he needs to know that we're not real, or I'm completely against it, and there's other people that are for it. And The show gets kind of deep, man. I mean, it, we're working on a, a full length, hopefully by next year. Uh, we just took a break because, I mean, it was key of E for an entire year, and a lot of us just got burned out on it. 
just because of the fact that it was just day in and day out. And, you know, a lot of them got really burned out because a lot of the guys in the show could, didn't really do any other plays. They were just sitting there just concentrated on this all the time. So, but it's, if anything, I mean, you know, I've, it, it brought me back into wanting to be an actor again, so, which is a good thing, and, you know, there's been a lot of interesting things that have happened in the last year and a half that, just funny the way life works. What, what's awesome is that the Corey, who, who spearheaded, the uh, Corey. <laughs> uh, who did uh, Kia V, yeah. who, he also was in, um, True West with you, which, as you pointed out to me, Kia, um, True West is one of those fantastic plays that um, most recently was um, John C. Riley, and did you say, uh, who else was in there? Philip Seymour Hoffman. Philip Seymour Hoffman, and what's... This play was not in Orlando, for the longest time, and you guys were the first ones to bring it to Orlando. Is that correct? Yeah, it hasn't been done in like 13 years or something. That's pretty incredible. That's pretty yeah. incredible. So, what's what's amazing is I've I've known Chaz for quite a while, and he has just evolved as a entertainer. He's just gone from just small and just just exploded. Yes, when when most people say that you should go off to New York, well, Kiev has done that. Now, what is what is the future for Kiev Cast and yourself as well? Kiev Cast future right now, like I said, is I think we're they want to write a full length, and I'll look at it and see what's going on because I just I don't know. I mean, it's it's. I mean, you've known me for a while. It's kind of like one of those things that's like, it's over, it's over. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> if it comes to a full length, I might look into it, definitely. But um, I don't know, man. I've just It's really funny because I've gotten since... I mean, I haven't talked to you in a while because life just happens, but I got to play a lot of roles that I never personally thought I would ever play in my life. Like, I got to be in Assassins, you know, the show that you know I've liked and hated for the longest time. Hated in a good way because it's what the show should make you feel. I got to do that show, and I got to do Who's Afraid of Virginia Wolf, which is a part in that show I don't even personally fit body type-wise, but I got great reviews for it. So he's supposed to be blonde hair, blue eyes, buff, but they said it was a very interesting casting choice, and I, I pulled it off. Uh, and then I got to do... Uh, I got to play a porn star in, in a breakthrough theater show, which was just fun. Which breakthrough such a small theater. It's like a little black box. It's only like 45 seats. And that was just cool. That was more... I, I did that to challenge myself. A, I had to get in my underwear, and B, it was only three shows, and our rehearsal schedule was very sparse, and I was the lead, and I'm like, I can do this. So that was that was a nice, silly, fun show. Fun fact about that show is it was one of the quickest shows ever on Broadway. It opened for seven performances and closed. <laughs> yeah. It had Cheyenne Jackson in it, Henry Winkler, Alicia Silverstone in it. It was right around the time of Hurricane Sandy. That's so weird. How, yeah. how long did, did your performance go on for? Three shows, so we almost... <laughs> no, four shows. So we, we were close to beating their record, but yeah, we only did one week. It seems like I, I thought that Assassins was the shortest-run Broadway show. I guess this one no, was... Assassins, well, Assassins was pretty short the first time around, but the revival, of course, there was a 
there's a lot more performances that popped up with the revival. Um, and then it was funny. I went from that right into True West. So, you know, it's just... In True West, it's great because we get to do it again in August. August 15th, 16th, 17th at the uh, Bay Street Theater in Eustis because uh, the creative director, Joel Warren, um, was in Kiev with us and is a friend of mine, and he runs... He's the artistic director there. And he was like, I want you guys to do the show because he was the one that originally put it in Corey and I's ear to even read the show. And it's oh man, it's one of those shows. Like I told you, man, I will we'll figure it out. You should definitely come see it when it's in Bay Street. I want to because it, it's interesting because to see that you're playing, you're playing the the writer character. I'm playing the character that is nothing like me in any shape or form. He's very meek, very weak, <laughs> very uh, doesn't really say what's on his mind. Um, gets bullied around by his brother. It, it was just really a, a very Difficult role to embrace because I've played all of these very strong characters recently, and to play this so weak of a character, you know, that just, he hasn't seen his brother in five years, and they've been estranged for the longest time, and he is afraid of him. And to be afraid of Corey was difficult for me, but he really, like, put himself into that role, man. Like, he just kind of let himself go, and he just looked like shit. And he was pretty friggin' scary. I mean, he drank about four beers throughout the show. Because wow. he wanted real beer on his breath, so when he gets in my face, and it's like, oh, God, dude, back up. <laughs> Where I sit there and just drink Perrier most of the show. <laughs> Till the part in the show, of course, where I get drunk. Because the great part about that show is you have a good brother and a bad brother, but are they really that much different? By the middle of the show, by the end, they're pretty much the same person. What, what I like about the title, True West, is True West is kind of like talking about the true west of, which is referring to the United States. That's what um, they were saying. And and so in a lot of ways, you look at that and you've got these two characters, one character which is the writer, who is about trying to exceed, excel, and he's writing the screenplay about automobiles, which everything about that seems extremely symbolic. And so you look at those two characters, you can almost think, would you say that they're almost... One person? Well, well, yeah, pretty. they pretty much are one person. He's actually not even writing anything about automobiles. He's just writing a, a shitty romantic story. Because, oh, really? Yeah, and the time, it's like 1978 is when the show came out. and It was, dude, our director was incredible. Kevin Becker, He uh, he's a big, pretty big name over in Orlando. Mm -hmm. he, um, he had us do so much table work, which was just fantastic. And he's like, dude, I want you to look at the last six years of someone who won the Pulitzer Prize for drama. And look at the last six years of someone who won Best Original Screenplay around that time. And look what won. And it's really staggering to see because a lot of it was nothing to do with love. You had, like, Kramer versus Kramer. You know, <laughs> you had uh, all, of these, all of these movies, like, these movies and plays that were just dark, man. Like, there was no love. And I, and I think it was interesting that Sam Shepard wanted to do that. And the funny part is, too, my character, Austin, is Sam Shepard. Ah, okay. There's a, there's a documentary called Shepard and Dark, and it's about his best friend, Johnny Dark. And Sam Shepard, a lot of the stories that they talk about in that show are real stories about him. Like about his alcoholic father and how his father, pretty much anything, if anyone's read that show, anything that he pretty much talks about his father is fact 
anything that Austin talks about his father is what really happened with Sam Shepard's father. So for as long as I've known you, you've always been interested in the darker theater. So nor, uh, modern like Broadway seems to be kind of going a little bit almost too poppy, like um, Aladdin is coming out. You also have some of the Disney, you can, you can say uh, the tourist musicals. Would you say yeah. that the golden age of musicals are kind of behind us? Um, no, I wouldn't think that. I mean, there's I I I went to New York and I saw a show that I, I made everyone go see because I was like, it's gonna win Best Tony for you know for for Best Musical. How do you know that? I'm like, I just know, and it won Best Tony. I mean, it won Best Musical. It was a Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder, and it was it was it was <laughs> awesome. But it was like a golden age, uh, also where it was really dark. But very poppy. Not poppy, but more of a traditional musical, honestly. It's about a guy that um, finds out that he is heir to royalty, but the only problem is he has eight people in his way, and he has to kill all eight of them. <laughs> but the guy that plays all the different characters, all the different members of the family, is all played by the same actor of that family. So he plays eight different characters in the same family. Wow. It was incredible. I mean, Neil Patrick Harris won for Best Actor, but... I mean, this guy was honestly best actor by far. Jefferson Mays, I mean, I would have loved to have seen Hedwig, but, I mean, you're a Hedwig fan. You like the original Hedwig with John Cameron Mitchell, right? Well, I, I think that this new Hedwig is a little bit too big. I think it's too big, and I don't know, man. I just think John Cameron Mitchell just embodied Hedwig. It, it was I've heard so many people. like Neil Patrick Harris is good, but it just doesn't give me like that rock. Let yourself go that John Cameron Mitchell did. So many people are saying that it's way too show to me. Way well, too <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah. Instead of being like you said, instead of being like a rock show, and Neil Patrick Harris is is kind of like just kind of making it more glammy. And I think that John Cameron Mitchell, I, that kind of goes back to the other thing where I'm saying it's like, would would you almost say that like those days of like Rent and like maybe even the original um, Headway, would, would you say that those edgy punk rock kind of shows are behind us? Or, or do you think that with Key of E and things like that, do you think that there is a potential for a new edgy Broadway coming around? Well, that's what we were trying to do with with Key of East, do something that was just different, um, you know. And I'm curious to see what happens with it. I mean, the, or if you want to see a lot of the experimental Broadway, which is going to be the new stuff, you really want to go off Broadway to see it. There was a great show that our producer took us to see called uh, Natasha Pierre and the or Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812, and it was about <laughs> yeah, it was about uh, part one of part five of War and Peace. So it was like a little baby part of War and Peace, and that's what the entire show was about. And it was an electro-pop musical, which you should definitely check out. It's on Spotify. It's called Natasha Pierre and the Comet of 1812. <laughs> um, and the thing is fantastic. And he's like, I want to do it in Orlando. And I'm like, nobody's going to go see it. That's, the, I don't know, man. It, that's the big problem, I guess, with Orlando is... Well, it, it, it's that... Your show... It, it it made a massive massive impact, didn't it? I mean, yeah. I mean, we 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 definitely had a following in Orlando for the show. Absolutely. I mean, a lot of people saw it. Um, you know, it's uh, 
Yeah, I mean, I guess it had a pretty big impact. I mean, we had cast changes, and me, there's only about three of us who are even still the original cast, which what? is kind of funny. Yeah. We had uh, the, the guy that plays, like, the douchebag character, Bryce. We've cast him three different times. We've cast the girl who plays Frankie twice, which is my sidekick. Corey's been the same since day one. I've been the same since day one. Andy's been the same. writer. Maurice has been the same since day one. Um, I think there's some other in the ensemble that have been since day one, but for the principal characters, yeah, it was only... It's only, like, three of us. Four of us. So, which is kind of funny for something that's just even being workshopped. Wow. That's but I don't know, man. The more I go through stuff, I just like acting. I, I don't want to be musical theater. I don't... Musical theater was, was difficult? There's a lot of work, man. There's a lot of work involved. I'm not a dancer, and, I, and you know, there's sometimes... I'm 31 years old, almost 30. <laughs> and there's times in your life you embrace it, and you go, I'm not a dancer, and I won't be a dancer. And <laughs> there's some dreams you just have to let go. <laughs> dancing and singing on Broadway, or even singing and dancing in Orlando, I don't think it's going to happen. That's why when I did Assassin's, it's a perfect show. I could just sing. I don't have to dance. I don't have to dance at all. I just had to be the balladeer and tell the story and be Lee Harvey Oswald at the end. Great. Yeah, I remember that time when you uh, did the Grinch audition and you had to uh, do the dancing in that, and you're just like, screw this. Well, the good news about that this year, I got called back and I made it to um, the singing, fine. Cold reading, fine. Then cut. So I didn't have to dance this year. <laughs> so, so how much dancing exactly was involved in the Key of E? There, well, for me, too much. But um, <laughs> I mean, it's stuff. If, if people even like could remotely dance, it was stupid easy stuff. But I just, I finally got it, but I couldn't get, get my mind around it. I mean, they're supposed to be really cheesy, flashy, like Broadway, like silly, like you know, jazz hands and just really silly stuff. And I just can't put my mind around it. I just look awkward. I don't care. <laughs> Will we ever see a documentary like the behind the scenes? Oh scene? yeah. Did I tell you about that? No, no. So our friend Walter Lowe, a um, good friend of mine now, I mean, I met him last year at the very beginning of when we started Kiwi. From the This is actually really cool. The very beginning inception of uh, the show from, like, before anyone was even cast, this guy Walter Lowe has documented the entire thing all the way to New York. Whoa! Yeah. It's That's supposed awesome. to be out soon. I mean, it's he's like, I got so much footage, and he goes, "You guys have changed so much, like from the span of like the beginning of the show all the way to the end. Like it's 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 very staggering to look at." It was like a machine. You went in there, yeah, and and it like completely processed you, and then you came out like on the other side of Kiev. But he got all of us, you know, upset and pissed off and saying bad shit, and then I love everyone. You know, it's just it's really. I haven't watched it yet, but I, I'm kind of excited to see it. I think, though, that he's a really good filmmaker. I mean, he's that's what he does for a living. Like, he has a company called Black Burst Entertainment, and um, he uh, he wants to try to sell it to Netflix after that because I, I think that the show's really cool. What if like, what if it, it could be packaged as a two disc DVD, Kia V and uh, and the documentary? Well, you, know, you know, Brandon Wayne wanted to make a movie. Yeah, yeah. How's that? Kiev into a movie, and I, I think everything stopped because we just started. It just started snowballing when we went to New York, and 
when that happened, we're like, what? Okay, we're going to New York? Jesus. And we, we were there for like three weeks. That's awesome. That's I mean, so cool. Full expense paid. I mean, I had to pay for my food, but that was it. So, so what ended up happening? Like, you said that it wasn't a, a phenomenal uh, response out in New York, but what was the response like anyway? Well, I mean, the response in New York was uh, the people that came to see it really enjoyed it. They liked the jokes. They liked that it was an anti-musical. Uh, the people that reviewed it, same. They liked it. But you, you got to remember, too, man, you're in New York City. You're just a blip. There's so much going on in that city. I mean, when we went to see Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder, there was a, a, a guy out there from uh, Playbill.com, and we gave him, Nick gave him his card. Nick Banowich, which was a producer for the show, gave him his card and said, come see KV, I'll comp you in. And he was, we really thought he was going to go see it, and we'd get coverage, but he didn't go. You know, it's, it's really difficult, too, if you think about it, to, to even start building a buzz in New York City. Yeah. I mean, it's real difficult. I mean, the really cool part about our show is we have this really awesome monster at the end of it that's the id of the Ethan character, which is like all his bad shit coming out. Um, yeah. And I wish we could have just walked around New York as a monster. Like, <laughs> the village and everything. But they're like, no, no, no. I mean, I had fantastic ideas that I personally wanted to do for um, um, for the, for the uh, marketing. I wanted, like, the character of Ethan and Josie, or Jocelyn, which was his girlfriend, to, like... Getting like this really bad like verbal argument in a bar, and the people are like, whoa, whoa, you guys need to cut it out, and then they give him a flyer for KV. <laughs> you know, I thought that there was really cool like weird guerrilla marketing that you could possibly do for it. Nobody did. They just put posters up, and it's like cool, man. Like the poster looks great, but that's not enough in New York City. People see kind all kinds of weird stuff all the time. But I, I felt good with it. I mean, the show was was different enough, and, you know, unless you were from New York, you weren't going to win that festival, which is cool. I mean, that's the way, you know, it pretty much is. It's hard to just come from a different city and, and, and win the festival, but I felt good with it. Well, the best thing is, I guess you could you could confidently say the Kia V, and you guys were part of this, you made something infringed that wasn't... Just a random one-man show. No, and it, oh, it's funny too because Corey's writing, and you'll love this. Corey's writing a a, a play that he, for Fringe that he's been working on for five or six years, and I've only known Corey officially for like the last year. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's about the uh, the rise of the grindhouse um, film or film genre in New York City in uh, the late '70s, early '80s. Wow. And I'll be playing the main character that's very... Think about... Um, I'm trying to think how I can mix it. It's going to be like Ed Wood mixed with... Uh, uh, can't think of another movie. But more or less, a guy that's so passionate about Grindhouse you know, films and he knows everything about them and is like a walking encyclopedia, um, has the passion like Ed Wood does. And, you know... He's basically putting a film together, and we want to make this really awesome trailer with all like the top actors in Orlando for like awesome. this big finish thing at the end. Uh, it's called Grindhouse a Go Go. So is is this is this a little? Can can you divulge a little bit more info, or is is this still on the? the well, uh, I have. I mean, we have like ten to fifteen pages written right now. And it's a French show, so it's only gonna be about an hour. Um, awesome. But I, I feel like it's gonna be. 
pretty big at Fringe, honestly, just because it's so different. The next uh, follow-up. Yeah, it'll be next uh, next May, and yeah, we'll have to. He said he's working on it, so uh, you know, I, I trust him at this point, and he's a. Uh, we became very good collaborators together. There's some people that you work with that you just have stupid chemistry with. Yeah. But it's like you're not even uh, our friends Christy Miga and Evan Miga. I don't you probably know them. They uh, they're the ones that were behind Dog Powered Robot. Yeah, yeah. So those are two really good friends of mine right now. And um, which they did all the effects for Kia V, so everything's a small world. That's awesome. Well yeah, like uh, like I said, you guys made a massive impact in Orlando yeah. itself. And they did. Um, um, they came to see True West, and Christy's like, "I hate dramas with a passion." She's like, "But I want to come see the show because I support you guys." And she wrote us like the nicest review ever, just on Facebook. She was like, "All right, that was amazing." She's like, "I wanted it to be longer. The acting was superb. I wish I can give out awards for it." Um, that there wasn't like acting involved. Like it was so real that. They had like stupid chemistry with one another, you know, and it was that's the highest praise you can get, man, to say you're not acting. That's really cool, you know. So I mean, she just gave like the best review ever. So. I, I saw a little bit of the Gary Sinise and um, John Malkovich version. Yeah, it's it's uh it's different. It's different, but you got to remember like. The, and the guy that did our fight choreography, Bill Warner, he was like, you know, they didn't even have a, a union yet for stage combat, so there wasn't really... The stage combat that they could only do in that show was very sparse. Oh, really? If you watch the last... Did you watch the last fight with, like, the telephone wire and everything? I didn't, I didn't get that far yet. And the very end of the show, Austin pretty much almost kills Lee. Wow. And, Fight was brutal. I mean, we had breakaway bottles. I broke a bottle over his head. I bashed his face into a counter, hit him with a golf club, strangled him with an extension cable, bashed his face on another table. I mean, it was it was brutal, man. I mean, real brutal. And the audience was like, oh. It, it was so brutal that a lot of people thought it was real because of the way Corey, how well he sold it. They thought something was going wrong, and I was really choking him. Wow. Yeah. Like I said, you'll have to see the show when it comes back around. Yeah, I, I really want to see this. We'll do three more, like I, I, or four more, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm stupid excited for it because we didn't want to retire it yet. And, you know, the only the only downside of this theater that we're doing it in is it's big. <laughs> it's really big. And it's so hard it's, to fill it. Yeah, it's like, well, no, not even hard to fill it. It's just a different type of show for a... Uh, theater that big, like we did it at the Mandel at Shakes, and it holds about 94 people, so it's very intimate and it's a, you know, um, it's a thrust stage, you know, so it's basically the stage is on the ground, so it was very intimate, but it'll be, it'll still be fun. I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I have to grow my mustache back, my bandit stash. That's awesome. Well, about to uh, sign out, but before I do... You also have Chaz and the Alternatives. When's the next Chaz and the Alternative show? So, funny you mention that. Like, Chaz and the Alternative was just a silly thing that I put together because I'm obsessed with the 90s. And um, Our last show is in April, and we've kind of taken a hiatus. But, you know, the good news about it is we always get so many people at our shows, man. And it's fantastic, and it's cool that people just, like, really... 
embrace like a silly 90s cover band that there's actually other 90s cover bands springing up in Orlando now. So you know? maybe there'll be another? Maybe? Well, there probably will. We were we were thinking about doing a, a 2000s cover band like for Vagrant and like all like the old <laughs> like the indie rock sh- like Hot Rod Circuit, Dashboard Professional and uh, Brand New and like doing like a cover show like that we thought would be pretty cool too. Say Anything and Saves That'd a Day. Awesome. Yeah. So we were thinking about maybe putting that together, but other yeah. than that, um, so we have like another show, uh, we have another show coming up in September with the same production company, which we don't know what it is yet. We're bouncing ideas off. We were looking at Steve Martin's Picasso at the Lapin et Gilles, um, which I don't know if you've seen, heard of that one before. You would dig that. It's basically Picasso and Einstein meet at this bar in like 1905, and it's a lot of Quirky, it's a C. Barton show, so it's a lot of quirky characters. And, oh, um, pretty awesome. Well, there's a lot of stuff to look forward to. Great chatting with you, sir. Yes. Thanks, thanks for catching up. Yes. All right. Have to do this Absolutely. Signing off. Now. Boy. Can get it now on iTunes. This is Better Off Alone. Check it out. Imagine you're a park ranger, and all of a sudden you got too many wolves. They're reading everything, making life a nightmare for the deer. You put a notice out. philosophy on the whole matter let me see if i have this straight you're telling me people are the deer or was it the wolves you meant i don't think i understand this metaphor well either way it's shitty you can't play god with people's lives or even hope they die to that course. All right.
There was no b- 